Hey, this is Brian McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on alscoop.com. Everybody. Welcome back to the Scoop, Valscoop.com's podcast. This is season six, episode 32. I'm John DiCarlo, joined as always by Sam Cohen, Sam Newman, Kyle Gauss is with us once again. What's going on, guys? How you doing? 32 is a good number, like a good jersey yeah. number. The Franco, the Franco Harris episode, the, what do you want to say? question. Yeah. If you, were, if you were a professional athlete, what would be your jersey number? Which episode of season six of The Scoop would you be? Uh, growing up, I wore 19 and 9 were my numbers. So one of those, I guess. I wear hops. The NFL, you can wear whatever the hell you want now. Right? Yeah. Is that past that today? Yeah. Except for I'd, I'd wear either 7 or 14. Seven, yeah, 7 and 14 was what I wore growing up. I'm changing Why? my answer. I want it to be above 55. I want it to be like if I played basketball, I had to get a waiver to wear it. I want to wear like I wear 77. Like <laughs> 77 for Kyle. Like, uh, <laughs> Sam, where did 7 and 14 come from? You like uh, numbers or just based off of? Well, 7 was always my favorite number, but I was, well, younger me, not now me, was a huge fan of Jose Reyes. Um, obviously, you know, not not a great past, um, but I was loved Jose Reyes when I was younger. And then 14, um, maybe I'm butchering the number. I think it's 14. My dad used to wear 14 because of uh, growing up because of Lou Pinella, I think. Yeah, Blue Pinal was number 14. Yeah. So that was just kind of a thing. Yeah. So I wore 14 too. But yeah, either seven or 14. Sam Kong. Lou Pinel is quite the like, I wore this number because Lou Pinella wore this number. It's, it's yeah. something. Yeah. I wore huh. two for a while and then uh, 15. Two because of Kyrie Irving, 15 because that was what was available. And I, then I stuck with it. No, he means two because of Derek Jeter, right? Absolutely not. Ooh. You guys remember in like Little League when like numbers were just based upon like thickness? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. The, fat, the fat kid got 28. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would, yeah, Kyle, what number were you? I was I was like nine. I was just like a very I was a pretty skinny kid, but I was like I was nine in Little League. It wasn't yeah, I usually made up with seven. Wait, what was times I had to wear like one or two because of that? <laughs> what was what was in uh, Morgan Dining Hall freshman year that Kyle ate an insane amount of? First of all, Morgan Dining Hall. How young do you Morgan, think I Morgan Dining Hall? Morgan, ex- Morgan was nowhere close to existing when I was in Johnson and Hardwick. And the story you're thinking of is the sack. Uh, Taco Bell was. Oh, was that's sack. what it was. I graduated high school at buck thirty, and then I I came back winter break at like one fifty. Like I had put on like twenty pounds in like one semester. What a beast. That's impressive. I needed come- to gain weight, but I didn't need to gain like cheesy gordita crunch weight. Coming back to play left tackle in the in the Black Friday football game. Yeah. All right, we can put him outside. We can run off tackle with him. I I liked 14. 14. These are all based off of like some of my favorite players growing up, and I'm gonna be dating myself here. I, I love I like 14 because I was a huge Pete Rose fan before I realized he was a degenerate gambler. Uh 18. Who cares now? I know. Yeah. Uh, 18, because I was a huge Andy Van Slyke fan, former Pirates and Cardinals center fielder. And 33, not because of Larry Bird, Boston Sam, because of Hersey Hawkins, who played in the same Sixers backcourt as Johnny Dawkins. So those are, those are, those are my numbers. Nine, I like Roy Hobbs or Von Hayes. We're number, number one because of Pee Wee Reese. 
you want you weren't number one because of Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee Reese. Speaking of Pee Wee Reese, in our podcast script, Kyle dropped in a picture of the SNL character Herb Welch. That made me laugh when I checked back in on the on the script. If you guys have not seen that, it's funny. It's good stuff. Anyway, spring football, basketball recruiting, lots of good stuff to get into this week, along with several of your mailbag questions. So another week of, of spring football is moving along again. If this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, we get zoom access. We do not get to see these players in person. So every week talking to players, talking to coaches, asking them about how things are going, how things are moving along, who's impressing, who's flashing all those things. Again, uh, a name that continues to come up is Kobe Wilson uh, would be a registered freshman linebacker at this point. But again, with everybody getting the free COVID year, a freshman, uh, Spoke to the media it was this week, right? Or last week? This week, losing track. On of Sunday, I believe, right? Sunday. That's right. I forgot about the Sunday media availability. So, um, you know, again, last week, Jeff Knowles, or was it last week or two weeks ago, Jeff Knowles called him a special player to say he's been a pleasure to coach. A lot of people have talked about him. And of course, if you follow Temple's football recruiting, he's a name that might have stood out to you because he was committed to Memphis. Flip did have a late offer from Georgia in his recruitment. So anytime Temple can out recruit an SEC program, whether it's a fringe guy or anybody, it's a big deal. Uh, I asked Kobe about that uh, during the media availability this week. I asked him why he chose Temple over that late offer from Georgia. And this is what Kobe Wilson had talked about. So we'll play this clip for you. So I knew uh, Memphis, they, their coach left or whatever. And then Georgia, when they were talking to me about coming, like they immediately started talking to me about like, starting on special teams. I'm like, starting on special teams. Like, I know my worth, you know what I mean? And Temple knew my worth as well. And they weren't talking about starting on special teams. They were talking about coming in, being able to make an impact. Just like like all the coaches do, but like Coach, Coach Knowles and uh, Coach Carey were like, you're going to have to work for it. We have some guys here like George Reed, uh, IGM at the time. Jordan McGee was a tremendous tremendous athlete. So they just told me uh, from the jump, like, I have to work for it. It's, it's not going to be given. All right, so I think if you're, if you're listening to that at first – you know, you might initially think, okay, doesn't want to play special teams. I don't think that's what he was saying, but you're hearing about a guy who wants to come in and said, as you heard him say there, I know my worth and Temple knew my worth as well. Uh, we'll see again. We'll have to, we'll have to see who plays special teams this year. If, if things are closer to normal and they have a compliment, uh, a full complement of players available to him, it'll be interesting to see who's on the kick coverage units, the punt coverage units and all that stuff. But, you know, he, you know, felt like, like you said, he knew his worth and wanted to be able to play, wanted to be able to play as a freshman right away. Uh, one of the other things that stuck out this week is George Reed spoke and uh, Sam Newman, I think you asked George this question, right? Where you, yeah. you asked him about, you asked him about, about Kobe. And, and one of the things that George said was, he said, the last new player to come in and be a leader, uh, a leader right away was Rocky Austin, uh, which I thought was interesting. Now, guys at the opposite end of the leadership spectrums and the age spectrum, so to speak, Rocky Helsinki came in as, uh, as an older guy, and he's now in the NFL. But I think George Reed's uh, intent there was to, to compliment him and say that's, you know, we think thought very highly of Rocky Sin. So um, a, a name that came up there. Um, another guy that, that we've been talking about recently when it comes to opt-outs is Quantel Reigns uh, from West Virginia. Uh, we've talked about Deshaun Winston as a guy who, who – could make an impact this year as an opt-out. And then there's Quantel Reigns, uh, again, as a Bubo. Sam Newman, you wrote that story about Quantel Reigns, right? Yep. 
Yeah, I, I can I can speak about him a little bit. I mean, you know, the, I think coming in, they were hoping that he would be, you know, an SEC or not SEC, um, a Big Twelve level talent that was able to come in and and really, you know, show the fit level of physicality was at, at um, West Virginia. I mean, he played more of a safety role, but he said his responsibilities were were similar to what I mean Temple does with Bubo anyway. So it's not too much of a transition. But obviously, like they didn't get to see him last year. He came. He was not eligible, so he opted out. Obviously, like, it makes sense for him to opt out if he's not going to be eligible to play because, you know, if you're ineligible, why stick around? Um, I believe Mariano Valente was the only one out of the three ineligible players to stick around. I think he was, like, a signaler or something. That's besides the point here. Um, I think you're going to see Reigns probably be somebody – I mean, it's early. It's the spring. But if we want to overreact to the spring like we tend to do on here, Reigns is probably going to be somebody who is going to be starting at Bubo, you would imagine. Um, just what he adds to, you know, his ability and what he, what he adds to the table, brings to the table, um, just his level of physicality and the versatility. I think, I mean, he pointed to, to Sam Franklin as kind of like, you know, the barometer of that position is Quantel Reigns, Sam Franklin. I mean, I don't think any of us can sit here and make that claim, but I think Temple's hoping that he has that level of athleticism to, to be the t- that type of player. Um, it seems like they, they kind of switched around their thinking at Bubo. I think they had a lot more players that, you know, I mean, they had Rigby listed as a Bubo. He's no longer right. there. Um, I think he's, I don't know what position they're having him at, but I think he's more traditional, like inside backer at this point, as opposed to being like an outsider uh, guy. But it seems like they're they're looking for a specific type of, of guy and, and trying to intermingle the other guys within, you know, the rotations with Will Quenku, Jordan McGee, George Reed, um, Kobe Wilson. So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, we're going to have a clip here playing a minute about what Jeff Knowles said about Quantel Reigns. I mean, the biggest thing between what Knowles and, and Brett Dearson said is just his football IQ, his smarts, just being able to come in and pick up the defense, especially with having the year off. So we're going to play that clip for you now about here's Jeff Knowles uh, talking about Quantel Reigns. We never got to see him uh, play because he wasn't in spring ball. We didn't, we only had one, uh, one initial practice of spring ball. So um, he's, he's been a pleasant surprise so far. He's really, uh, he's athletic, he's smart. And, and as far as like doing your job, he's doing that right now. So the focus for him definitely right now, because he's starting to figure out where he's going after missing out on a ton of reps in the fall. Um, now it's okay. Now let's play with that extra strain and effort and that we're looking for. So yeah, Quantel, um, he's one, um, uh, uh, Trayvon King's doing a good job right now. Um, he's he's got to get that body weight up as much as can. That's that's been and get his strength back because you got you know you, you guys who miss a year, losing that strength training is a big part of it. Um, so he's done a nice job though of getting his getting his body weight back up, and uh, you know he can keep going a little more, but uh, you know he can really run now. He's athletic DN and he can cause some havoc for an offense. So it's good to see him back. All right. So, yeah, that was Jeff Knowles talking about Quantel Reigns. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll hear we're going to be hearing more from Jeff Knowles this week. Um, Jeff Knowles, I think, in Mike uh, Yaramovich are going to be speaking to the media on Thursday, whether you'll be listening to this on Thursday or whatever. But they'll, they'll be speaking to the media on Thursday. So maybe he'll have a little bit more to add about Reigns and what he was able to do in the scrimmages. They're kind of wrapping up spring ball here. Sam, most most. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, just to kind of add along a little bit about Quantel. Uh, I think that's a guy that 
if he hadn't had to sit out a year, people would probably be a little more excited just because I mean, this is a guy who legitimately played at West Virginia. Um, like he played probably, you know, 15, 20, 25 snaps a game for the Mountaineers before transferring. He kind of looks like Sam Franklin, like body size wise. Like he's like 6'3", 200. Sam Franklin played like 6'3", 210. Um, I think he adds a bit of range, more range to that Bubo position than somebody like Mohim McCargo who has to play past his frame and stuff like that. I feel like Quantel kind of has the ability natural physicality natural length and, and frame to kind of fill in that position so I, I think that's definitely one to watch well that's what Dearson said when we asked him uh last week of what what he looks for when he re- recruits bubos and like I said kind of safeties who are who you know can come in and play in the box and guys who can move around the field so I think Temple's kind of looking at that bubo as somebody who can be like a rover essentially yeah. like a rover in the next level guys that you see like I'm going to butcher the Notre Dame linebacker or Isaiah Simmons, not to that degree, but like guys who, you know, you can have run all over the field and not really be worried about, you know, what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, I, no, yeah. I, I don't, I didn't want to take a shot at McCargo or anything. I mean, yeah, but like the fact of the matter is he's five, 10, 200. Yeah, I, always, sure I, always just, I always just kind of go back to that, like that Phil Snow, Avery Williams thing where he's like, I loved Avery Williams, but like if I took 11 Avery Williams every year, like that's not going to work. Like, so I think like with somebody like with McCargo, he's so dynamic and whatnot that you can look past his, his shorter size, but Quantel probably fits physically what they want at that position more. You guys answered my question. I, Kyle, before you spoke, I was going to say, if, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, or if you were reading about the Temple football program for the first time, every once in a while you hear from people, what's a booba? What's a booba? What does that position do? Or you, or you answer it on the message board and people ask anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys, you guys explained it, uh, whether it's a, an outside linebacker, a rover, uh, and a booba is an owl, right? It is. It's, a, it's a genus of owl. It's not like, there's not like a boobo owl. It's like a, a family right but like i mean it's a different name for a position that like a lot of programs have like like sam franklin played it before he before this defense like he played it in the jeff collins defense as well so like it's just a different name for it's a it's a templeized name for a position that is exists in quite a lot of places this podcast being brought to you by the philadelphia zoo (laughs) it's elmwood park zoo the elmwood park zoo in norristown where kyle had his rehearsal dinner for his wedding I i went there um last summer for like a, a drink around the, the zoo thing, kind of just like grab a beer and walk around. And we fed a giraffe. Didn't we feed a giraffe there? Uh, I yeah, think there was an opportunity yeah, to feed a giraffe. There yeah. are opportunities to feed giraffes at Elmwood yes. Park Zoo. So go yes. to elmwoodparkzoo.com backwards slash duh scoop for our referral. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be great. If people are like, uh, 5% off in oh. visit, tell them that John, Kyle, Sam, and Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Help we get a call from the Elmwood Park Zoo. Like, uh, you guys sent like, Honestly, saw a decent spike in business, but we did so, not offer that special whatsoever. <laughs> I had to convince them to stay. Uh, we want to tell you guys don't do it again, but I don't know. What happens if somebody from there like listens to it and you you wake up to an email in your inbox about sponsor about sponsoring the podcast. Then we know we're then we know we're big in Norristown. You know, we'll see. Khalif Wyatt is not our only Norristown listener. I'm assuming the Khalif Wyatt listens to the scoop. We don't know that. I also don't think Khalif Wyatt lives in Norristown anymore, probably. No. Maybe near Marstown. I don't know. We'll get them on the pod. That's the only way we're going to find out. Anyway, um, uh, a, a couple other uh, spring football notes and talking points to, to pass along. Uh, Gabe Infante, the former St. Joe's Prep uh, high school coach, who's now Temple's running backs coach, talked recently. I, I thought he he offered some some interesting stuff recently because again, now with with Ray Davis being gone to Vanderbilt, 
There are a lot of different players to look at there. Uh, Gabe in Sam Cohn's piece, uh, Sam, I'll kind of tip this over to you. One of the things he talked about at first was, you know, how we studied North Carolina and what they've done to kind of like, I don't know, space out carries in their backfield, right? Yeah, that was probably the most notable thing that he talked about was that he realizes the depth they have at that position in the running back room um, with you know two incoming transfers of returners and a handful of younger guys. They have a ha- they have a number of guys that could see legitimate time on the field. So he's spent all offseason trying to figure out how do I make this work? Uh, and he name dropped in the North Carolina who had two thousand yard rushers, eleven hundred yard rushers. Um uh, in their backfield. So he was studying them as to fi- as to figure out a way to make their rotation work, just kind of looking at other programs to see how coaches go about it, um, to mold his own uh, game plan to make sure that they can utilize every skill, every, all the versatility and all the skill and all the, um, all the positives they have in that backfield. So that was one interesting thing that he mentioned that he's hoping to do this season. So I would definitely expect to see multiple guys get legitimate carries uh, on a game and game out game in and game out basis. The other interesting um, noteworthy thing that he said was how highly he spoke of Edward Sadie just from the um, just from that day, that day of practice that he had re- he was really, really impressive. Was was that the day of the scrimmage or am I ma- or am I mixing up my day? No, you're not. It was the day of the scrimmage. He was very impressed. That, that was a day, yeah, yeah that, that was the day of their first scrimmage. And he said Sadie had broken a couple really he had had a couple really nice moves, turned a couple plays that could have ended poorly into, you know, into positive uh, positive yards. So he's he he kept circling back to how well Ed Sadie played that day. But ultimately, I think what, what you're what you're getting from Gabe Infante is that they have a very deep backfield. Iverson Clement and Rayvon Bonner are going to probably see legitimate time on the field and that um, there's going to be a legitimate rotation there. So let's play this clip of, of, of Gabe Infante talking about Ed Sadie first, and then we'll play another clip of him talking about Bonner and Iverson Clement. Well, uh, the, the player that's, that's really shined this, uh, this offseason has been um, Edward Sadie. Edward Sadie has had a tremendous spring for us. Uh, has done an incredible job of picking up the system, uh, doing all the little things right. Uh, I mean, really has a command of the entire system and uh, the work he's done in the offseason has really, really uh, come through in his, in his performance um, as of late. All right, so with Sadie, I think we'll have to see if this persists, if this lasts, if he is you know, legitimately seeing again, uh, my hope is that by August we'll be able to see some practices in person, but I guess we shouldn't be predicting anything, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have to see if, if those Ed CD aid, excuse me, Ed Sadie mentions have some staying power because if, if Gabe really is that impressed with them and if, if Tavon Roy, you know, you, you, you know what Tavon Roy can give you. Is he an elite NFL back? No, but is he a competent college football back? Sure this could get interesting. So uh, interesting note there that Ed Stady has impressed and did it in a scrimmage. And then we're going to play this clip here of Gabe Infante talking about Rayvon Bonner, the Illinois transfer and Iverson Clement, the former Rancocas Valley high school four-star recruit who played at, at Florida before coming in. So uh, here's Gabe talking about those two guys who, as Sam said, are probably going to see a decent amount of carries as well. I mean, the beauty of the two is they complement each other very, very well. They're, they're two very distinctly different players. Uh, Iverson, I think, is going to give us that uh, big play threat that we've kind of missed in the run game a little bit. He's, he's twitchy. He's very explosive. He's dynamic. Um, he's, he's very good outside the core of the formation as well as in the core. And then Ravon is that bigger back who uh, – 
uh, just really, really bright. Uh, probably a bigger version of Ruli, uh, more downhill physical. You know, I think what you would expect at a very productive Big Ten back, you know, that type of style, you know, really good in gap schemes and really good, really efficient runner, um, more explosive than he looks. You know, when you see him, you don't anticipate to hit for him to have that burst, but really quick feet and a real, real um, elite burst uh, through traffic. So those two guys complement what, what ends up becoming, you know, a very veteran room. Let me ask you guys this again. It, it is, it's April and it's not August. Do you think, do you think this is coach speak with, with Gabe, or do you think this is, do you think he legitimately sees four backs here? Obviously and most teams aren't going to, you know, unless you're Navy or army, unless you're running the triple option, you're not going to have four guys seeing consistent carries, but or should we, again, we we're not there to see it, but should we believe Gabe Infante, or do you think this is still going to be more of a, the Rayvon Bonner and Iverson Clement show? I mean, I would believe Gabe Infante. I think obviously it is coach speak because, you know, I mean, they're, they're not going to show their hand at this point, but mm. um, if you, if you think about it, like, you know, Ed Sadie, um, he's, he's been able to take advantage of kind of what, what the situation I have in the backfield. Tavon Rowley still recovering from a shoulder injury. Right. I don't know what's going on with Onassis Neely, but I mean, Gabe just didn't mention him. So maybe he's like buried on the depth chart or just hasn't been there, but Gabe just didn't, didn't name drop him. So don't know what's going on there, but um, Sadie seems to be like, you know, in the mix right there. Obviously he probably needs more carries at this point than Clement and Bonner still in Bonner, just from what they want to see from a standpoint, I think they know what they're getting in Bonner and Clement, even if they haven't seen them like in person, you know what you, you need Sadie to get those kind of touches. So um I think it's more than coach speak at this point. It, like I said, it is, but like at the same time, I, th I think you'll see three to four guys. I mean, is Edward Sadie going to come in and have 10 to 15 carries a game? No, unless, you know, Bonner and Clement or, you know, knock on wood get injured. But um, I, like he said, like he outlined that, I think there's a mailbag question about this, but I think, we'll right. see, I think we'll see three or four guys and it's, it's more likely going to be Sadie than Dobbins. That's just my opinion. Uh, yeah. I, I, I... I always tend to kind of take spring running back statements with like a huge grain of salt because like, I don't think there's any position that's harder to kind of project what it's going to be like in the real world, mm -hmm. because like every single college running back, whether you are the starter or you are the seventh string walk on put up monster numbers in high school right. and, and has had scrimmages or practices where they looked apart. I think the more important part is kind of like where these guys are going to do when to, to steal a phrase from coach speak here, when there's live bullets being fired at them and they have to focus on their pass protection or their mm -hmm. run protection when Duan Mathis decides to have a design scramble. So I think in the end, you're going to, we still have another four months, five months, as we're all talking about. I think you're going to start seeing this potential four or five man deep running back group be whittled down to two, three, four. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, this is a good thing because I mean, think about two years ago, they went into spring with Jagger, or they went into the fall with Jagger Gardner, a, the, the true freshman and walk-ons behind them. When Jagger Gardner goes down in 2019, they have a they have a walk-on running back as their primary backup. Their starting running back transfers out halfway through the year last year, and that former walk-on is now a starting running back in, in the college football. Now all of a sudden you're talking about, hey, they might have so many backs that they got to figure this out. So that's a good thing. They clearly targeted that position to make it better. Um, when uh, when Johnny Martin decommitted or was pushed out, however you want to put that, 
I think a lot of people just naturally assume that they would then pivot and just bring in a different running back. Instead, they chose to bring in two running backs via the transfer portal, one of which is plug and play. The other one is he's going to be here three, four years anyway. So that's basically a recruit. Uh, I think they did a good job of shoring up this room, but I still think in the end, it's going to be just two or three guys that really consistently see the field barring injury. I, mean, I, think, of- I think back of John, like I think back like Myron Miles, like, oh, he yeah. looked wow. phenomenal in spring one in one spring. He won that spring, spring game. game. Yeah. He looked dominant. He looked like the next, he looked like the heir apparent to Bernard Pierce. That was going to be this mm-hmm. literally never saw the field. Right. transferred out a year later i think that's a fair point because look at i mean dobbins was talked up what in maybe their first camp and then we never saw him on the i think the first camp that carrie and his staff were here and we never saw him on the and we really I, didn't see him at all i vividly remember driving back from a practice in fall of 19 like august of 19 and telling john like i think the kyle dobbins hype might be real he looked that good in practice like they were hyping him up Instead, he never really saw the field that year, and they went with Ramon Davis instead, and they figured things out there. Like it's just so hard to kind of see how how is that going to translate when they're going up against Boston College and Rutgers. As well. Gabe still Gabe still mentioned him recently, right? Didn't he say he still has to actually? I mean, it, when you most good programs have this problem, like Kyle astutely pointed out, it is one of those positions where all of these guys put up monster numbers. Sometimes you bring in a receiver. And they caught like maybe 17 passes their senior year because they weren't in a pass heavy offense. But staffs have to protect, oh, this kid's 6'3, 6'4. He can run this, he can do that. He has this vertical leap. All of these backs were good. Kyle Dobbins was a, was a very good high school back at St. Augustine Prep and then um, and then in Timber Creek. You know, all the Clement was great. Uh, Rayvon Bonner, all, all these guys. So this is this is a pleasant problem to have. I mean, Onassis Neely might just be a guy that doesn't get a shot for another two years and and Dobbins name still seems to come up I don't I don't have any reason to doubt Gabe when he when he says that but yeah it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out in terms of the guys that are blocking for those guys uh Adam Klein spoke yesterday again we're recording this on a Wednesday so Adam Klein spoke on Tuesday as Sam Cohen pointed out in his story uh despite Temple losing Vince Picozzi and David Nguugu to the transfer portal Temple's offensive line is returning 127 collegiate starts, and that's the eighth most experienced group among FBS teams. So it's something to keep in mind when you talk about what they lost in the portal. So Klein spoke uh, about you know what he's seen. Isaac Moore spoke recently. Isaac Moore had a, a quote this week and talking about uh, that Temple culture and wanting to get back to that. And he said, everybody knows Temple doesn't. I'm paraphrasing here. He said, everybody knows that Temple doesn't lose games. Uh, we need to get back to that. Klein talked about, uh, he said he's working primarily a guard, right? Not tackle. So that'll be another, again, another position group to watch. CJ Perez is there. Uh, somebody pointed out to, to Klein that, you know, that maybe Temple had lost some versatility and, and Klein correctly pointed out that, no, we do have some versatility. Joseph Hooper can, can be versatile. I, I don't think that they want to play anybody else at center right now, but he, he pointed out, Adam Klein pointed out that CJ Perez had, uh, had, played some guard at Northern Illinois and that they do have some, uh, some versatility there. I would have to think, I mean, this is kind of an obvious statement. Maybe this, this has to be a bounce back gear for, for Isaac Moore, right. After getting benched last season as, as tough as last season was, um, kind of an important season an important spring and important August for him coming up. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy that he started as a true freshman and then legitimately lost his job during uh, the offseason between sophomore and junior year. And they eventually wins it back, whether it be an injury or a performance. But I think it's a big year. I think Adam Klein's probably being a little humble 
when you're talking about the flexibility of that line, when I, I think he's the most flexible. Right, he's played line. every position, he's right? Played, center, there guard. Was, before they brought in C.J. Perez, a proven FBS center, he was going to be their starting center going into next year. So he's played tackle. He started at both guards positions and he was going to be a center. I think him being on that team makes that line versatile because you can just move him back out to right tackle and start wisdom Porsche at right guard or something like you can figure things out if, if things happen. Yeah. And some of the other names are starting to come up now too. Bryce Tolman, Sam Davis. We'll see again, whether Jimmy these Donaldson. Jermaine okay. Donaldson, whether these guys are, and again, just like with backs, you don't want to, you know, it's not like you're playing, twice as many backs as you need twice as many uh, guards and tackles as you need, unless you can really start running over teams. And, you know, if you're rotating guys in and that, and in that way, then you're either in a a good spot or a bad spot. There's nothing really in between, but again, some of this, if there's a Mount Rushmore of like off season cliches for, for coaches, it's, we really like our, our five guys and offense. We, we want to get to eight. The six or seven or eight. Like they always yep. think about, we need to get to this number. And that, that's very true in this situation. Somebody like Sam Davis or Bryce Toman is probably going to have to play at some point this year. So mm-hmm. now here's the like, opportunity. Well, I mean, like three pieces. If you think about it, they lost Picozzi, they lost Wagugu and they lost Leon Pinto. And I mean, yeah, you can say whatever Leon Pinto, but he started the first game of the right. year against Navy. Uh, Will Gugu started games and so did Picozzi. So you have to somehow make up for that somehow. Yeah, two of those are a little more due to doing injuries than the other. But no, you're you're 100 right. Like Pinto was a guy that if somebody went down, he was flexible. If somebody went down a guard, or somebody went down at center. Like he he could have slid in. So. Well, I think you could, they'd imagine that Corshi might be that guy because he can play guard, and they had him working out at center. So that, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm rubbing my crystal ball here, and what's going to happen over the next 18 months, it's Corshi plays kind of plays that role this year, and then look, Joseph Hooper and uh, Michael Neese are going to graduate this year, and things like that, and then Corshi probably becomes like a three year starter after. I mean, that. what do we gun their head not right now? I mean, obviously who. It's still early, but I mean, left to right, we would think what Isaac Moore, Joseph Hooper, CJ Perez, Adam Klein, Michael Neese. Uh, maybe swap Klein and Hooper, but yeah, yeah, I would think that's exactly what I would think for tackles and the guards, maybe both. And then I think CJ Perez has that center position in a stranglehold right now. Yeah, I think Perez and Moore are the only ones that you can pencil, like, you can probably write that in Sharpie right now. The other maybe in pencil. Sharpie. I'd say, yeah, well, yeah. Perez and and maybe Klein and whatever spot he's going to play. I guess I guess we have to oh, see yeah, if yeah, yeah. I I think those five are like definitive starters. It's just mm-hmm. where are they going? Yeah, no. What I was saying is center and left tackle are the only two that you could probably just write in sharpie. If, like, and the other three you figure out somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. All right. So again, as 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 Sam mentioned, we'll get the more media access as as the next. Uh, Several days come along. We'll get the coordinators again, bring you guys as much coverage as possible. Uh, it also has been an eventful week for the basketball program. Aaron McKee extended offers, as Kyle pointed out. It's it's offer season now. So uh, Temple extended four offers to players from the class of 2022. Dan Skillings, a 6'6 wing from Roman Catholic High School from South Jersey. Christian Furman, we have a story up on the site right now that Sam has has written. We'll have some audio from him in a second from that interview with Sam Cohn, 694 from Pocono Mountain West High School, uh, about a couple hours north of Temple. Ernest Uday, we've done a story, Sam's done a story on him as well, 610 center from Orlando's Dr. Phelps High School. And A.J. Brown, a 6'4 guard from Orlando Christian Prep, who's currently in the 2022 Rivals 150. So uh, as of now, and we've been asked about this, now technically Temple doesn't have any scholarships to give for the 2022 class if everybody were 
to come back with that extra year. That would include Ty Strickland. That would include Arashma Parks. But we're going to reasonably assume that there's going to be some roster movement again. None of this is official. This is educated guesses. But let's say Ty Strickland graduates after this coming season. Arashma Parks graduates. Or maybe there's someone in the program that isn't satisfied with their minutes. But I think when, when you extend four offers like that, you can kind of see what they're prioritizing. Maybe a couple of bigs and a, and a wing or some sort of scoring guard. You can see what their early interests are, but uh, yeah, four offers went out this week. Sam, you want to kind of give us a, you know, you did a good job with the, with the story here, kind of breaking each one of these guys down. And again, we'll have some audio that we can play from your interview with Christian Furman, but you know, what, what do you see from this, uh, from these four players? And you've had a chance to, again, not see any of these guys live, but I know you watch a lot of video of these guys. What do you, what do you see from these four players that Aaron offered this week? Yeah. So Monday was a pretty day pretty busy day for temple hoops um i guess i'll just to rifle through some of these guys first up dan skillings uh the most local guy uh you mentioned a six foot six six wing from roman catholic of the four he's the only one the temple staff has seen play live um he uh he also has uh played with philly pride and has played with zach hicks and in you know various aau circuits and has played alongside temple signee zach hicks um He's a wing that can really play. Uh, he's someone that's recruitment is probably going to blow up and throughout this uh, this spring, this AAU circuit, and kind of into the summer. So um, he's at least a name to keep an eye out for. Christian Furman, I'm going to circle back to because we'll play his audio at the end. Uh, Ernest Uday Jr. was someone I talked to a couple weeks ago. He had mentioned that Temple's definitely uh, one of the schools recruiting him the hardest and really credited uh, assistant coach Jimmy Fennerty as the reason that Temple is so high on his list right now. He's really built a good relationship with, with Jimmy Fennerty. And I mean, he's a big, they can do a lot of things. He's like six ten. He's got some pretty, uh, in, I mean, interesting offers from uh, USF, Georgia state, Virginia tech, ten, uh, Tennessee's gotten in the mix with him too, but he's a big shot blocker can finish inside. Isn't really the kind of guy that's going to stretch the floor as of yet, but that's kind of where he sees his offensive game evolving. Uh, he's really a you know primary defender and a guy that can defend the interior, but can also play the inside. AJ Brown um, was the other one. He's uh, one of the guys from Florida and Aaron McKee basically told him in recruiting him and on their first call that uh, Temple wants a scorer. Temple wants someone that can score the basketball and they think AJ Brown can be that guy. So that's when you talk about what temp what your what temple's priorities are in terms of who they're looking at um christian Furman and ernest Uday jr are the two bigs you're probably looking at aj brown's that that really that scorer uh that guy that would can have the ball in his hands and can score the ball he described himself as someone who uh as a scorer who loves to play defense and as i said that's exactly what mckee told him temple's looking for and then christian Furman, who was the one i talked to most recently um another another big man from pennsylvania who uh is is just so dominant in his league. He was the MVP of his league. He racked up multiple triple doubles this past season. He told me he wants to go out and prove that he's the best defender in the country. He's, you know, he thinks highly of himself, but he's not, not necessarily like in an arrogant way. Um, he has a couple big five offers. He has offers from St. Bonaventure, VCU, uh, both A-10 offers. And his hope is that this summer he'll be able to make some official visits after that July 1st end to the dead period. And then by December, be able to make a decision. And that was kind of a common thread between Ernest Uday Jr. and Christian Furman, uh, kind of like December-ish to make their decisions by. And those are, so again, those are really the two big guys they're looking at. And then A.J. Brown, a scorer, and Dan Skilling's a wing that can, that can bring kind of versatility to the lineup. 
Sam, let me ask you this again. I know you haven't really seen these guys live, but one of the things that everybody's going to be getting used to is the dead period is eventually going to be lifted. And as of now, unless there's a new spike in cases or whatever, there will be some sort of AAU season where, where coaches can get back out there on the recruiting trail and evaluate players. So again, uh, Temple's not going to get all four of these guys. Maybe they won't get any of them. We'll see if, if one or two spots open up. And again, there, there could be new offers that go out, but, um, of, of these guys, and again, maybe assuming that they're at least targeting one big, and maybe when it comes to skillings and Brown, a, a wing, or just somebody who can score, which of these guys do you think will be the one that, that really blows up? I mean, I know I talked to, to Russ Wood and he, he told me that if, you know, Florida state could really be a tough school to beat out. If any, if, if Florida state or Florida really wants to lean in and offer him uh temple would obviously have a, a tough road there, but in your estimation, what, which one of these guys do you think could really blow up this summer based on what you know about them? Um, I would, so i I mean, I've heard Dan Skilling's a really, a really, really good prospect. Who's on the precipice of like, if he has a couple good AAU games, he's going to blow up. Good word. Precipice. Um, good word. <laughs> But I would Kyle say in approval. Yeah. <laughs> from what I've seen, I mean, I think you can I think you can make a realistic argument that and this is such a cop out answer. I think you can make a realistic argument that any four of these guys can blow up. But if I were to pick one to say, like, that's probably the guy that could make a legitimate run in an, a, in an AAU season and and probably end up at a power five school. My my inclination would be Ernest Uday Jr. Uh, he's the guy that kind of reminds me of Sam Iami today. Feels like a similar story of someone that could. Uh, a big, a really, really dominant big who Temple was in good with, but he could be destined for greener pastures. He could be destined. But again, I think I can't underestimate how highly he spoke of Jimmy Fennerty. And I hope that comes through in the story. I hope that comes through when I'm explaining this on the podcast. He, he, him and assistant coach Jimmy Fennerty are very, very close. He said, the, the, I, I think I mentioned this on the scoop a week or two ago, but the quote that, that he was like, yeah, Coach Jim is the kind of guy I could talk to about nothing for half an hour. He spoke extremely high of him. So that relationship definitely goes a long way. Uh, it's like a Seinfeld episode. Exactly. Uh, and the fact that Temple was in early definitely helps. But if I were to pick of these four, Ernest is probably the one that I could see really blowing up. Um, and just in on the note of thinking highly of this staff, Christian Furman, who I spoke to the other day, keeps using the word legendary uh, as a uh, prefix to head coach Aaron McKee. He talked about he played with Aaron McKee in 2K growing up. So he knew Aaron McKee well before he was getting recruited by him. Um, and it, it meant a lot to him to get that phone call, to get that scholarship offer from someone like him. He said he knows about, he said, not not only a legendary player, but a legendary coach. And he spoke highly of him. So I think the staff, say what you will about you know who they land of this group. Say what you will about the job they've done recruiting. Of this four, and specifically those two, uh, they think pretty highly of some of the guys on the staff just in terms of the relationships they've been able to build. So just to play this one quick clip from from Christian Furman, um, he talks here a little bit about, I, I asked him something along the lines of like, you know, what what from your conversations with Coach Aaron McKee, from those Zoom calls, from, you know, the, those phone calls with them, what sense do you get about the future of the program and where Aaron McKee is taking it? What entices you about the program and um, and the direction Temple is going in right now? Um, he has a, he has a, great vision for this program he wants to build it into a powerhouse um take it back to when he was there and um i feel like he, he really has high hopes for what we're able to going to be able to do coming in with my class um they have some really good recruits that I'm, i know of this year such as zach hicks and billy Bryce. so i feel like he's gonna he's, he's building a really great program right now and i feel like 
that's a program that could really go far. Yeah. So if you'd asked me the question, you asked Sam earlier, which one of these four is, which one of these four players do you think is the closest to, to blowing up? I think my answer might've been Christian Furman um, entirely just because I mean, look, it's hard to get like official stats when you, when you watch some of these kids play, play up in like mountain leagues and, and random, random places. And it's always, it's always important to kind of keep in mind the, the level of talent they're playing against, but he told Pittsburgh sports now that he averaged 18 points, 12 rebounds, seven blocks a game uh, last year. He's a multiple triple doubles. You can see on his film that he can shoot it a little bit. He's athletic. He's, He's lanky for this size. Uh, he's 6'9", 6'10", 195, 200. I feel like he's the type of guy that with an AAU circuit, it's kind of like when you talked back to when Tumble got Jaleel White, uh, the talk was, hey, if Jaleel White goes into some of these circuits and shows that he can shoot now, that he can hit a couple threes, then this thing's going to blow up. And fortunately for Temple, Jaleel White got injured, didn't really do that too much, and they managed to keep him in. I think if Christian Furman goes in the AAU circuit and shows that he can consistently hit threes with the athleticism that he has already as a shot blocking presence, he might blow up. Um, so I think it's good that Temple is probably his probably his biggest offer right now. I think you can make the argument that VCU is at that same level um, with their recent success, but he's probably their biggest offer. It's the closest thing to a local school, really, that's recruiting them outside of St. Bonnie. Um, so I think it's good they're, that they're in with him early, but he's a guy that I think that this could get a lot bigger. Yeah, Furman also told me that uh, Temple, just on the note of Temple reaching out, they reached out extremely early. It was like the first, I think he said it was the first day coaches were allowed to reach out to the class of 2022. Temple was, you know, hitting them up. Which for every other major recruit, that means that they've heard from 40 other schools that weren't supposed to talk to them yet. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the stuff that would that would be shocking to Dick Vitale, right? I can't believe you like engaged in that. As if Dick Vitale's like, let me I, w- I wish <laughs> I I wish Dick Vitale would answer you, John. I wish he was in your replies. But alas, he did not. I'm gonna be honest. Not I, don't expect. I don't think Dickie V knows how to respond to people on Twitter. Yeah, I'm also not verified, so he's not gonna see me in, in his replies, right? So he would just find you with a picture of him holding Pepto Bismol. <laughs> you'd be surprised if they because a lot of celebrities you'd be like, Yeah, they're only gonna see if it's verified, but then like not that he's a celebrity celebrity, but literally I saw yesterday Jeff Bassan, the baseball writer, mm-hmm. um qu- quote something, and then somebody responded like 10 seconds later, like a little snarky, and he responded like eight seconds after that, basically being like, I blocked you, I'm done with you. Like right away, I'm like this hmm. got through this guy's filter. Like, you're just giving the you're feeding the trolls. Don't feed the trolls. Yeah. Do not engage. Kyle's Kyle's motto is what? I got a lot. Of not, en- I say, I say I not, not engage. Not engage. <laughs> yeah. My social mute, media mute and move on. Right? It's yeah, mute, mute, move on. on. Mute, move on. Just yeah. let them keep yelling into the abyss, and you're just going on, going on with your life. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that doesn't annoy me. Annoy me the way I know it annoys Kyle. What's that? People like people saying nonsense in your mentions. Oh, I, just, I, I just mute them and move on. Like, I really, but like, it, it takes a couple of times for me to mute somebody. Like, if you're just a broken record and you're saying the same stupid shit every time, like, I just mute you and I move on. I don't think less of them as a person. I just don't think about them. <laughs> it just doesn't get like, it just doesn't get to me the same way. I would uh, like to see what okay, good for you, Sam. You yeah. <laughs> I've had some, we've had some, some troublemakers in the mentions in the past. <laughs> Like I said, I would like to see what your mute list looks like. I, I bet, I bet it's like a, 
My block list is it's probably, a CVS receipt. You know, mute, mute wasn't always around for Twitter. It used to be used to block people. So yeah. like I initially had like hundreds of people blocked because I was like, I don't give a crap about you. Like I don't want this stuff. So like I'm sure there's probably some unintended like person on my block list. Like, why is Kyle? Why is Kyle on me blocked? I'm like, oh, so they just didn't care what you thought in 2011. And <laughs> <laughs> now here we are. I, I've been I still, on Twitter a long time. Yeah. No, I block a lot of people now. It's just not not like people who are in my mentions, but like you know the the tweets that you just don't want to see and that they keep coming through even past the mute. I'm just like, yep. I think I think the last person I did that to was Aubrey Huff. Yeah. I was like, I was like I'm just sick of seeing Aubrey Huff in my, my interactions too. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, let's move along to this week's mailbag some football and basketball questions here thank you to everybody who took the time to submit questions both on our message boards and on twitter first one comes from the screen name of moose jake i guess uh zero zero eight his question with the tight ends and running backs uh, will the tight ends and running backs be featured more in the passing game great question too soon to tell, I guess, because um, not this is a separate thing, but along those lines, I asked, I think I asked Adam Klein, how did the offense change for you in terms of blocking for a guy like any way, shape, or form? Even if it's even if Real Mitchell somehow gets the starting job, it's a mostly new quarterback. Otherwise, it's a, a brand new quarterback with Dewan Mathis or Mariano Valente. Um, so there's going to be a new guy there. It'll be interesting to see how they tailor the offense if any of these guys like Mathis or Valente or anybody are comfortable, you know, and, and even though it's a shorter throw, uh, you know, or, or whether they're doing wheel routes or anything, I guess it'll depend on how well these, these quarterbacks throw the backs. And of course, the bigger thing is how well does Rayvon Bonner, Iverson Clement, Tavon Ruley, Ed Sadie, how well do these guys catch the ball in the backfield? Again, we are not there to see that, something that we can ask about. And of course, the tight ends, that's, you know, a lot of people will, will think about that. You know, when, when a guy like Kenny Eboa transfers on, oh, they didn't throw in the ball enough. It's a great question. I don't know if you guys have a better read on it than I do. I, I think it's just too soon to tell something that we'll ask about more as spring football winds on and as, as it lasts into, into preseason camp in August. But I, I don't know. Not sure yet. I think just looking at it from the standpoint of who you lost, I mean, you lost Brandon Mack. So you'd hope that maybe somebody like David Martin Robinson would be somebody or Darius Pittman would be like a player that you'd be able to target in the red zone instead, a bigger guy. But also if you look at it from the standpoint is you no longer have that veteran quarterback turning it over, like he's some younger guys, you know, you would probably hope that not dumbing down the offense, but you would hope that Mike Removich would, okay, let's lean on some of our tight ends and running backs to kind of be a security blanket, maybe jump off passes, get, just get those short passes and, and trying to get Dewan Mathis maybe comfortable earlier on, or a guy like Mariana Valente. But you know, that, that's just from my standpoint, I think that when you, when you, the stereotype of getting younger quarterbacks involved is okay. We're going to utilize the tight ends. We're going to utilize the running backs in the passing game. But I mean, like you said, John, it's just, to be determined, but I, I would imagine that you would probably see the tight ends more just in the red zone, just because of the absence of Brandon Mack. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. I think it's just so hard to gauge 2020, right? Like the entire season is hard to gauge, but like that one game when they were close to full strength against Navy, David Martin Robinson had what five catches for 73 yards or something yep. to that extent. Like he was involved in it. He was targeted six, seven times. Uh, I think the extra dimension of, um, having a mobile quarterback will help with tight ends as well. Just with kind of those like impromptu backyard plays yep. where you're buying time. I feel like it's easier. I feel like everyone imagines 
oh, Dwan Mathis is going to avoid the rush. He's going to spin out of this. He's going to find a streaking jade in blue for an 80-yard touchdown, and we're all going to celebrate and eat chocolate. But I think in reality, like, a lot of those plays, a lot of times end with checkdowns. You buy yeah. time and you check down. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a situation where David Martin Robinson might be able to kind of just release and, and find himself open. And, so and, would, and, with, and with running backs, I think Iris and Clement's a better receiving back than they've had in recent years. So that'll help. Yeah. And again, it could be like you said, when it comes to the backs, spring football, you hear about this a lot. Then eventually what's going to separate them is how well do they play? How well do they pass block? And then the other thing that could separate them is how well do they catch the ball out of the backfield? So great question there. We'll have to see how it plays out. Next question comes from Detroit Al on Twitter. His question is Javon Adams still on Temple's radar. Saw that he got an offer from East Carolina. So he's talking about the big man from South Jersey. Is he still on Temple's radar? Yes, but, and I, I would say this is uh, also an evolving process. He, uh, you look at the, at the bigs that they offered, Temple has not offered him yet. I think the people are, are naturally asking about Javon Adams because I see her Miller mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. There was a, a mailbag question about who are you actively trying to recruit to Temple, and Javon Adams was a, a, a name that, that was brought up. Now, he doesn't have a Temple offer yet. That could change. When you look at Hasir Miller at, at this point last year, it was Stevie Mitchell, Stevie Mitchell, Stevie Mitchell. Temple had not offered Hasir Miller yet. So it doesn't mean that just because he doesn't have an offer now that couldn't have one in the future. I, I've been told that he's almost kind of like a bigger version of, of Quentin Rose and not necessarily the back-to-the-basket big. So we'll see. I mean, he's, he's getting he's getting the follow treatment on Twitter, but he doesn't have an offer yet, but that, that could change. I don't know how you guys feel about this. Yeah, so I just wanted to you know add in about that point John was making just because Javon Adams is on his here Miller's radar doesn't mean that he's on Temple's coaching staff. I mean, obviously he's getting the follow treatment on Twitter by maybe if you, you know, really the the assistant coaches, but that obviously like everything is fluid that could change. Um, but it seems like these top four guys were that they offered were obviously those first guys that they want to hand out 2022 20, offers. I mean, there's not, not really a, a quota or limit on how much they can offer, like how many offers they can throw out there. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously at the end, when they're going to take people there is but like I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that ends up happening down the road but maybe he's the case of a player they would like to see just in person instead of just kind of rolling the dice on some of these guys that they haven't next question from the message board this is north broad is the screen name here's the question let's pretend the NCAA grants an additional coaching slot for both football and basketball Pick one non-traditional hire, be it an AAU coach or a seven-on-seven coach for football or a high school coach to fill a spot on each team. North Broad was referring to the fact that Miami just hired DJ Irving, who's a local guy, a team final guy. He played at Archbishop Carroll before playing at Boston University. Uh, they just hired him to replace Adam Fisher, just left for Penn State. Um, what do you guys think on this one? Again, this is hypothetical. The NCAA has not created additional coaching spots for football and basketball, but if they did... Who are you guys thinking of? My pick is recurring Owl Scoop podcast guest, John Brennan, assistant coach of Newman Gretti, because he is a recurring guest on the Scoop podcast. <laughs> also a great guy and a great coach, but I'm, I'm this is all completely objective, by the way. <laughs> Kyle, Sam. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the low-hanging fruit a little bit. Um for I think I think you probably should go more AAU with this, especially with basketball, obviously, um, considering there's not really AAU football. There's a seven-on-seven camp. Uh, but I think for basketball, like, 
you go AAU, you would think somebody from Team Final or Philly Pride or somebody like that uh, level. But for football, I'm going to steal exactly what's written in our Google Sheets here is Al Crosby was one of the first names that came to mind for me. Um, because, I mean, he's got the Truven track record at that two Truven track record, proven track record oh. at two uh, powerhouse programs in the city, Emotep. He made Emotep, Emotep, and now he's made New McGrady into an actual football program. And in between that, he was involved with a lot of like city recruiting um, in between those jobs. He ran a lot of camps and things like that. So I think he kind of has a pulse on the inside. I also still think that Temple should try to find a way to get somebody like, like a Mike Wallace or somebody back into the program. So maybe that would be an opportunity to do that. Basketball-wise, yeah, somebody from AAU. Carolina, Sam, any thoughts here? Of course I'm muted. Um, I don't know if I have much more to add. I think Brandon, like an AAU guy like Brandon Williams, as Kyle mentioned, would probably be the best. I mean, just going off of who I've talked to recently, I talked to John Maskoff for a, a story for my class, uh, for my capstone. I think he would probably be a, a solid guy as, in terms of basketball just because of what he's been able to accomplish at Archbishop Wood. I mean, the amount of players that they've been able – that they're sending to, you know, the up next level is pretty impressive. I mean, football-wise, you would – Probably, you know, one of the like local high school guys. I mean, you would hope hope to get like a mold person like Gabe Infante almost. Um, I can't say I'm too familiar with the names of the head coaches, but obviously like, you know, Al Crosby comes to mind, of course. Or, or you just swing for the fences on this and you go Kevin Boyle from Monverde Academy. You go like, let's just blow, let's just get like the major dudes on here. All of a sudden you got Ben Simmons and like D'Angelo Russell sitting uh, courtside again. <laughs> Uh, the next question comes from Shy Town Al from the message board. He says, first, thank you all for your continued top of the line coverage for Temple Sports. Thank you, Shy Town Al. Appreciate the appreciate the compliment. Question for the scoop. Although there was although there were a lot of factors, um uh, uh a lot of factors surrounding last season with Aaron and, and uh Aaron's control of the season, what he could and could not control with COVID pauses, lack of pra- lack of practice time and gameplay. The team never seemed to establish an offensive identity, and as you know, consistently went on costly scoring, dro- costly scoring droughts this year where they had no answers. What adjustments do you think the team will make next year to be able to remedy this? Additionally, what style of play do you think will best fit the personnel on next year's team? We'll, uh, we'll lob that up to uh, Boston, San Fernando. What are you going to do with this one? That's a good question. Um, for the latter part, the second question, additionally, what style of play do you think best fits the personnel on next year's team? I think it's pretty obvious that we went from McKee's first season of a team that really wasn't recruited by him to a majority of the team was almost entirely recruited by Aaron McKee's staff and what he, the style of play that he wants, uh, the product that he wants to see on the floor to I think next year it will be every player on the roster my unless i'm blanking on one i think every player on the roster by next by next season will be recruited by mckee and his staff so um you're seeing long lengthy athletic can score all through levels everybody at every position is comfortable with the ball in their hands Uh, i mean you saw a taste of that this past season with jp mormon bringing up the ball a handful of times Dre perry bring up the ball a handful of times just because the way the ball came off the rim um so a, a type of basketball of sort of move towards positionless basketball at times, you'll probably see small ball at times, uh, but uh, the style where every, they're getting up and down the floor, they're moving the ball quickly. They're not going to sit. They're not going to slow the pace of the game down. They're really going to push the ball and um, they're going to shoot the ball a lot and they're going to spread out the scoring a lot. 
for the first quarter, if I don't know if, any, if anybody wants to cut in, feel free. Uh, what adjustments do you think the team will make next year to be able to remedy those problems? I think a lot of their problems just came from a lack of time playing together. I mean, we saw in spurts their chemistry really grow, but turnovers and, uh, you know, kind of not really knowing where their guys are on, are on the floor comes from two things. One, not really playing together as much when you have nine new guys into the rotation, seven new to the roster. And the other thing being that um, they didn't have an offseason to kind of put in any kind of playbook. They didn't have an offseason to really put in sets and figure out an offense. It was everything was on the fly. Everything was being thrown at these guys last minute. So a lot of that comes from just learning as they go, learning, uh, you know, as the season goes to figure things out. So I think a lot of their problems, I'm not saying they're going to be fixed. They're probably still going to turn the ball over. They're still going to struggle with, there's probably still going to be chemistry issues of time, but I, I think you see a step forward in, they turn the ball over less. They, the chemistry is more evident on the floor and you're seeing a more Aaron McKee esque style play where they're getting up and down the floor. They're shooting at a high volume, um, and, you know, they're playing, as Aaron McKee says, inside out where they can feed the ball down low to their big mans because a lot of their offense is predicated on getting the ball into the interior, whether that be a drive or uh, or passing it into the interior and then kicking it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, to not get as specific as Boston Sam because he did such a good job with that. I think the biggest thing for me that and I think the only solution to this is playing more together and doing the offseason. The biggest question to me is figuring out how to get Damian Dunn and Caleb Battle to play better together. Because, um, I mean, I, I think – Granted, it's a small sample size, but Caleb Battle looked like a significantly better player during that stretch when Damian Dunn was unable to play due to injury, and then Battle was just pretty much the man. Well, it's a good problem to have, but you got to figure out how to get those two to coexist together because they're two of your more talented players, and they're probably the cornerstones of your 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 franchise. Next question here. We'll probably we'll lump these questions in together. Mike TB thirty one from the message boards, and then uh, Twitter Matt Deebs. Both have a similar question, essentially the same question. Early predictions for running back rotation slash depth chart based on both potential and spring practice performance. That's from Mike TB31. Matt Deems, essentially the same thing with the running back by committee plan. How do you think that split shakes out? Lots of cooks in the kitchen with Bonner, Clement, and Rooley while also having some young guys lurking as well in Dobbins, Neely, and Sadie. Kind of talked about this already, but I don't know. Who do you think gets the first carry of the season? Who are these... um, you know, who are the, who I, I, how do you guys see this playing out? I, I think you kind of see it playing out to, I mean, I think North Carolina is the perfect barometer. Obviously Javante Williams and Michael Carter are both going to be drafted on day two of the NFL draft. Um, both very talented guys or Bonner Clement that we don't know that yeah, quite yet, whether I'm, I mean, I think we kind of do, but that's besides the point. Um, I think you're going to see them kind of split carries and then you'll have a guy like Ruley probably be the the one to kind of be like what he was with Jagger Gardner and, and Raymond Davis and come in, maybe get three, four or five touches a game at, at the most. Um, and then, you know, if they're going to sprinkle in a fourth guy, it'll be Sadie and, and Dobbins. You know, I, I, I would love for, I think we would all like for Kyle Dobbins to, to get some carries, you know, he's been through a lot and he's been with this program for a while, but I think Sadie just got that upper hand over him and the, the top three guys are just, I mean, it, it's it's hard to take carries away from any of those guys. Yeah, I agree. I mean, to answer John's question, who do you think gets that first carry against Rutgers? I think Rayvon Bonner probably gets the first whack of things just because he's a guy that's played in Big Ten games and he's scored a touchdown against Rutgers, I believe, in his past. So, like, he's, he's done this in the past. Uh, I think I'm going to kind of model – what I think the breakdown will be based upon is kind of like 2019 where you had a guy like Ramon Davis, who was probably getting, you know, 17, 18 carries a game. 
And then you had a guy like Jagger Gardner that was still probably getting like 10, 11. Um, I think, I think you're going to kind of see those two guys combined for probably like 30 ish uh, carries a game. But I think you'll also see Iverson involved more in, um, in the receiving game than Rayvon Bonner. What I think is going to be interesting is now that they have an actual running quarterback, when you look back at some of these like NIU teams under Mike Yaramovich and, and Rod Carey is they ran the ball a lot with, with quarterbacks. I mean, go back to like 2016, um, like six, 550 yards from their quarterbacks, 2017, their, their leading rusher was their quarterback. So I think you're going to see a lot of carries to the point that if DeJuan Mathis wins this job and he's healthy for 12, 13 games, I think you'll see him with 100, 110, 120 carries over the course of the season. So that's, that's a lot. Well, the other things I'm curious about, I know Brett Dearson has spoken a little bit. And again, I know we keep repeating this. We're not at practice. And one of the things that we are typically able to see when we are at practice is like the last 15 minutes. And sometimes you see some, some special teams work. You think any of these guys, I know Sadie has in the past, any, anybody in this group, see them on return teams? I know they, they've mentioned, I mean, Dearson mentioned Blue and did you mention Jones too? Am I making that up? I believe so. And they've both done it in the past, but right. I think, I think Clement has that in his, in his repertoire. His name got mentioned as they hadn't, when, when we talked to Brad Dearson, they hadn't uh, done kick return yet. Like they just got, they hadn't gotten to that part of their spring, which I'm sure made a lot of our listeners just super happy. Um, <laughs> but I, I think of those, I mean, Iverson Clement, I think has that, that possibility to do that. Or that, I mean, that could be like a Kyle Dobbins situation. I like could Dobbins. be mistaken, but I believe they mentioned it in like the spring practice blog about players who had been returning punts. Maybe yeah, I'm... I think Jeremy Jennings got mentioned yeah. out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Jose like, Barton's another guy, but I mean, obviously you got to, who has the speed, but I mean, you worry about his hands there. I mean, I don't think they're comfortable enough with his catching abilities quite yet to put him back there. And I mean, you're putting the football on the ground. That just can't happen. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's over that point. I think running back wise, it's yeah, Iverson and maybe Kyle Dobbins possibly has that that second gear. Because I mean he has that burst that a lot of them don't have. Speaking so. about special teams, Ty Mason Jr. said it. I mean, we're recording this on a Wednesday. He kind of said that he, you know, he takes pride in special teams and it's something that he feels comes natural to him. So maybe that's a guy that they missed having last year that can really take over that unit, not take a be their, you know, biggest special teams contributor, but be a guy who can help kind of remodel that unit he said that everybody's taking it like seriously and that they're like you know working hard on it so if our hopefully our listeners are like that but <laughs> let me ask the, the little last minute question from the mailbag from at kyle gallus on twitter um <laughs> how much of the like so so if you had to kind of take a step back and you look at the spring one of the main messages from a lot of the people have been, has been hey we got some guys out of here that didn't want to be here Everyone, everyone's here is starting to buy into the program. I mean, Adam Klein had a quote where he said, like, people are starting to really trust and buy into the coaching staff. How much are we buying that at this point? Like, percentage-wise, from a zero to a hundred, how much of that is just, hey, this is spring ball and everybody's optimistic and it's easy to kind of be bought in when things are going well and blah, blah. And how much of that do we think is actual substance? I think you just, I think you kind of just hit on it right there. I, I think... I would buy into it because I think that really, even if you lost, even if you lost some good players, it does seem just based on how they, I want to kind of temper the the tone when I say this, based on how these guys handled themselves on the way out, where it was like, they were almost like cheering on other guys that were, that were leaving. It does seem like anybody obviously who didn't want to be there is, is gone you're right. It is easy for everybody to be bought in right now because it's spring ball. 
I'll be interested to see how things go if they get off to like an 0-3 or an 0-4 start or something like that. But I would have reason to, to buy in. I think I, I think it's a good thing, obviously, that they that they retained guys like Randall Jones and Jaden Blue, even a guy like even a guy like Klein, you know, anybody who was really not one of Rod's core guys like a CJ Perez or a Mariano Valente or anybody like that, you know, it, it maybe it is, maybe it is just taking that. Maybe it is just taking spring ball where guys are looking around and saying, wow, this feels good. We didn't get a chance to do this. And be, and because we didn't get a chance to do this in the spring, we got off to a late start in August and so on and so forth. I'm buying it right now, but I will again, be interested to see who holds things together. If, you know, if they struggle getting out of the gate. Well, I think just to go off your point, if the guys didn't, I don't think if the guys wanted to buy it, if guys didn't fully buy into this coaching staff and started buying in, I think they had the opportunity to leave. And it was kind of like, if you want to be here, great. We're going to accept you. We're going to make you a part of this family and everybody's going to be all in one, all in 100% together. And I think the guys who didn't fully believe they left. And that's not to say, I I don't think that's, you know, here or there about the coaching staff. I think it's kind of just like, you know what, these aren't guys that were brought in by this coaching staff and they feel a particular way about maybe that the head coach doesn't run the way that they want things to be run. So they left. Um, I, th- I think things to get things tend to get like overblown um, as, as they always do. Um, but I think Klein sentiments are, are definitely like, you know, they hold merit because isn't, I mean, Adam Klein, although he's a guy who, you know, his family lives 40 minutes down the road. If he wanted to, Adam Klein could have definitely entered the transfer portal and said, okay, like I have starting, I've been starting at right tackle since I was a freshman, made 20 something starts over on that right side, have the versatility to play all over the offensive line. I can go elsewhere and go see a greener passers ahead. He stuck around. A lot of these guys still stuck around. It sounds like the veteran guys are buying what these coaches are selling. It sounds like a lot of these transfers, like, you know, high profile guys who were, you know, once three, four, five star recruits, maybe not five. I think I misspoke with that. But, you know, these are guys that are buying into what these coaches are selling. So maybe it took some time for, for you know, some of these guys who were holdovers to start buying in just because they weren't sure. But I mean, if a guy like Adam Klein, he was a holdover, Jeff Collins recruit who started what, 12, 13 games his first year under Jeff Collins. That's a, and was recruited by a different coaching staff. I think he's a probably a prime example of that. And you probably can, you know, speak to it. But if he's saying that, I think it, it's that it holds definitely some weight and some merit for sure. Another oh go ahead, Tim. I was just gonna say to Kyle's question, um, I think there's legitimate optimism for the talent on this team, but I would say that a lot of it is probably it's spring ball. Things are going well for the most part. They're all going to be as optimistic as possible. And correct me if correct me if you guys think I'm wrong. I think Rod Carey might be the only straight shooter and the only one that will actually tell you of anybody we've talked to, like, yeah, things didn't go well today. I guess I mean, mm-hmm. since the start of spring ball, I'm pretty sure he's the only coach that has said today wasn't good. Sure. It's okay. We're going in the right direction, but today wasn't good enough. I don't, yeah, but- I can't remember another coach saying anything even similar to that. Unfortunately, we didn't get to talk to him this past uh, Monday, but. I feel like of the of all the of the whole coaching staff, he's the only one that's been the straight shooter of not having necessarily that over optimism. And I think again, as I said before, there is reason to have optimism, but you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's gonna because as Kyle mentioned, like it's spring ball is a long way to go and things are okay right now. Yeah, I think sometimes you also, especially from head coaches, you also have to take some of that negativity with a grain of salt. Like Matt Rule used to do that all the time. Where they'd have like a scrimmage or something, and he would harp on like one bad yeah. thing they did, and that just that's that somebody pissed in my cereal that way, like it ruined everything else. But like, 
I think I'm kind of in the same mentality of John where I think like they're, they're optimistic and they have right. They have, there is probably some credibility to you got rid of some bad apples and it's everyone's closer now than they were last year. But like that can only go so far if they go out and they lay an egg against Rutgers and they lose 42 to seven or something, then it doesn't matter. Like that's good. Like, I think they're going to need, I don't know. I'm not saying they have to beat Rutgers to have a successful season, but I think they're going to at least need to like show improvement performing against Rutgers for that locker room to stay like on that path. Well, yeah. saying winning cures all right. I right. think, mm-hmm. I think the issues that were there when they went eight and five, maybe not issues, but you know, the ability to buy in the coaching staff, it didn't really matter because they were winning. I mean, if you look at it, if things go their way in that Cincinnati game, they're playing in the conference championship and they're playing in a, in a better bowl game. I mean, obviously, you know, they played in a pretty decent bowl game and got it handed to them. And that's a different story. But when you go one and six, those things are exasperated. Those things are highlighted. And I think a lot of those guys said, okay, like this isn't for me. I have the opportunity to go leave now go see greener pastures, whatever. I mean, they would have graduated regardless, but they're like, okay, I have my opportunity to go see what else is out there at this point. Um, so I, I think the one thing is like, I, I think Temple fans and, and people out there are like, well, they're one and six, they have to be better. They know that, they, yeah, obviously none of these guys were, every guy that we've talked to knows, every player that we talked to, every coach that we talked to knew that the effort last season was good enough, whether they had, they were playing with the JV team or varsity team regardless. I mean, they pre- essentially, I mean, as CJ yep. Perez said, we played with the freshman team. So they were playing with the junior varsity team against some of the, you know, against SMU, against Tulane, you know, some. that's just what it was. So I don't think that they want to sit here and make excuses, but I think at the end of the day, you can also look at it, okay, if they're able to win six, seven games this year and be back to 500, be a respectable team, you know, think, things will definitely change and guys will start buying in. But I also think that, that one and six record people just have to look beyond. There's so much more to it. And if, if they're able to turn just a couple things around, I think they will be a lot better than people think they will be. My answer would also be tied into the guy that's, that's brought up in our, on our last uh, mailbag question here. And this is from park Al. His question is there have been a lot of quotes from wide receivers hyping up Duan Mathis, understanding that none of you can read minds. I think, <laughs> Does this seem like genuine excitement or more the standard presumptive QB one talking points type? I think it's, I think it's legitimate. And I also think that, you know, again, if if this might sound like the most obvious thing to say, if Dwan Mathis comes in and makes a believer out of this team, then I think that is a big, big deal for lifting the morale and lifting that whole notion of like, are people bought in? Because if he comes in and he starts making some plays, then quite naturally, guys like Jaden blue and Randall Jones, and they have already to a certain extent, you know, we, we've talked about this. I asked Jaden, uh, did, did when Dewan Mathis came in, did, how did he reach out to you right away? And he said, yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if they brought in anybody else and that guy reached out to, to Jaden and, and Randall, they could have been like, man, we're not feeling it. Maybe we should leave, but you know, maybe we'll look back at that and say, Hey, they, they brought in a guy that beyond his sec recruiting reputation was the real deal that that was a big deal that he got them to stay now obviously they have to retain these guys they have to keep them engaged as kyle said you know they got they got to go out and win and you know a, a win against Rutgers. not that it would again define their season but it could give them a huge boost if he comes in and plays the way that people think he's capable of then i think naturally people start looking around that locker room saying this staff was able to, when they lost a guy like Anthony Russo to Michigan state, they were able to go pluck a guy from Georgia 
granted, you know, had he lost his job, sure, but still they were able to pluck a guy from Georgia who's up, who's in here coming in and making SEC level type of plays. Again, as Sam said, winning sure is all. I think that might make a believer of a lot of people at the most visible position. So I, I think I think the to answer Pargal's question here, yes, I do think it's I, I do think it's legitimate. I, I his name keeps coming up, and not just in the like you don't hear people saying so far. Yeah, he went to Georgia, but he still kind of kind of come in and win us over again. Nobody said that he's winning the job outright, but I think we were. I think we were talking about this last week. It does sound like it's leaning closer and closer. Kyle, I obviously can't remember if you said this in a conversation to me or if you said it on the podcast. If you, I think you might have said to me, I'm wondering if, if this doesn't get named by the end of the spring, maybe. But then the flip side of that might be like, do you lose, do guys like, like Valente and, and other quarterbacks lose their edge if you name Math as the starter? But I, I, do think it's, I do think it's legitimate optimism around the guy. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, thank you for airing out our private conversations. As that was <laughs> no <a> problem. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, yeah, I, I was just going to make that point. I mean, well, I think we got a question a couple of weeks ago where someone said, like, do you think this gets named in the spring? Or do you think this drags out? And at the time, I think I answered, like, I think this gets dragged out to August. Again, with the obvious caveat of we are not seeing practice and blah, blah, just going off what you're hearing and what players are saying, I'm starting to creep more and more towards this might get named at the spring. Um, I think Dwan Mathis so far has checked all the boxes he needs to check. Uh, the question here at the end, they say, is this genuine excitement or is it more of just, hey, this guy's probably going to be QB1 and let's just try to hype him up a little bit. I think it's genuine excitement. Uh, part of it's probably just because he's physically and skill-wise a lot different than the quarterbacks they've had in the past of the guy being 6'6 and being able to run. So I'm sure there is some excitement for that. But Jaden Blue is the type of guy that if he had hit the portal – he would have gotten offers from some major, major schools to go right there. And instead he he's come out and said, like, I'm just so excited that they got Dwan. I'm so I'm happy that he's got here. He factored into my decision to stay um, that I think there is genuine excitement behind it. And I think that that's the type of, if there's any position in sports that can kind of put some band-aids and, and cover up some, some holes and it's, it's the quarterback. If you have a dynamic global quarterback, we've seen it. I know this is going to be ridiculous as soon as I say it. We've seen Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers cover up holes on their teams for 10 years now. Um, you can find a way to win if you have that good of a quarterback. So excitement. Dwan yeah, Mathis, I, first overall pick. <laughs> Just to go off Kyle's point, I think, I mean, the way, we've asked so many players about Dewan Mathis. And at this point, I don't think all of them are being coached in unison to say that these things to hype up quarterback one. I think they're legitimate things. And just off the spring practice field, you could probably tell that like his athleticism, his physicality, his his you know, his stature, it stands out on the football field. I mean, he's six foot six. The things that he's able to do, like, you know, maybe they haven't seen at the quarterback position before. Um, I think when we all saw that Temple was getting DeJuan Mathis, okay, that's your eventual starting quarterback. But this staff is not a staff that promises guys that you're going to come in and the job's going to be yours because it's just, I mean, it's about earning it here. That's a, that's always been beyond this coaching staff. That's always been the thing about Temple is you got to earn your spot. Mathis is so far, I think he's earned his spot. And I, you know what? Like, I think that might be just like a thing where, I don't know if that, if you, for me, like my standpoint, just spitballing here, who knows if Kerry and, you know, the soon quarterback coach and Yaramovich go to DeJuan Mathis and be like, hey, you're the starter, but we don't want you to take the foot off the gas, that sort of stuff. 
and not tell the rest of the room and kind of be like, okay, I want everybody else to battle it out and just have the one with that mindset. I mean, who knows if that could happen? I, obviously, I, I have no idea whether that might even be a conversation or happen, but I, I mean, it, it's something that's logical. Um, and I think they want, I think they just want that competition there. And they, I think they want Dewan to get pushed and don't want him to get comfortable earlier on because maybe like, you know, there's some players who have said who've come in and, you know, once they have that hand, and I'm not saying Dewan's that, but they've had that started job handing to them. They're like, okay, time to get like, just comfortable, but they, I mean, Kerry kind of just mentioned him getting comfortable with the playbook and all that stuff. So I think they want that competition there. I would be surprised Kyle's like Kyle's point makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, I don't know. I'd be surprised if they like just came out and said to one Matt, Rod Kerry comes out next time and says to one Matt, this is my starter. I'm naming him my starter today. I think what well, you guys hit on something else too, and it might sound cheesy, but I think all of the guys or most of the guys that we've heard from the transfers that, that have been brought in, you know, you, uh, I, I think Mathis has talked about this. I think Ahmad Anderson talked about it. I think Willie Rogers talked about it. And he said, why Temple? And I think they've all kind of had that similar response. Where they said, you know what? Might not be, like, you might not get the the red carpet treatment here, but it's real here. You've got to earn it. And I haven't gotten the impression from anybody that we've talked to on the record and any just talking to some people on background. I have not yet heard anything that would suggest that Mathis came in and that he needed to be humbled a little bit. I just haven't heard any of that. Again, we're not down there on the sideline. We're not seeing conversations or hearing conversations as guys come off the field. Uh, but it, it all seems legitimate so far. I think there's a, a legit amount of excitement with him in the building. And again, I can't understate this or uh, uh, overstate this enough. Again, it's a big deal that he was a big part of the process in getting Randall Jones and Jaden Blue to stay. I think heading into you know, mid-December where you're looking around and saying, okay, how badly is the portal going to hit this team? Obviously they, they lost a lot of, a lot of contributing players. For me, it was like, okay, there are two guys that you really can't afford to lose among many. And I, I, they, I think they were able to keep one. They lost one. I thought for the, for their sake, you can't lose Jaden blue and you can't lose Arnold Ebiketti. You lost Arnold Ebiketti. Again, that's not to say that losing Anthony Russo wasn't a big deal. Losing IGM wasn't a big deal. Uh, Maje, so on and so forth. But I would have to at least give some of that credit to, to, to Mathis and getting blue to stick around, but I just haven't gotten, just haven't gotten that vibe that he's come in and been entitled or like, again, I think some guys will let their guard down a little bit and they'll say something and you can glean something from their answers. I think Jaden said a couple of weeks ago, yeah, we like real, but he's got some things he's got to work on. Then he brought up Mariana Valenti's name unprompted, but seems like so far so good. So I do think it is, I do think it's legit so far from what we can tell. So that will do it for this week's episode of The Scoop. Again, big thank you to all of you for listening, submitting mailbag questions. Again, uh, more to come as we continue to cover spring ball and any other new offers that go out uh, for basketball. And uh, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon.